0: I love music. Like, I love, gosh, how blessed are we at this church to have... Tim and, and Alan and Frank and the choir and all the great musical talent we have here in our church. We are blessed beyond measure to have the great musicians we have here in our traditional service, as well as in our intersection service with ants and the team down there. We are blessed beyond measure here at St. Matthew's to have such great musical talent and musical ability in our church. It is a true blessing. And I just love music. I, I've always now some nobody some folks question if I could preach or not. No one questions i can't sing uh, i've always i 've always wished I could sing, and you know you, you ever look at a dog chasing a car and, and the dog doesn 't really think about what he 's doing because if the dog ever caught the car, he wouldn't know what to do with it. A few weeks back, in this metaphor, I caught the car because those of you in this service weren't part of this, but in early service a few weeks back when um, I was supposed to be in Honduras with the mission team. Brian, uh, Aaron was preaching in here And Brian was preaching at an intersection So we wound up not going because of the weather So I'm here on um, it's that Sunday morning And I had a brilliant plan That I had co-partners with I'm not going to name them Holly Stoddard and Chris Wells um, <laughs> And uh, this is my plan I'm going to sneak into the choir room While the choir's in here Put on a robe and a st- and, and, you know, and, and, and come sneak in the choir loft Tim will see me he will yell at me, he will kick me out, everyone will laugh, and we'll be done with it. Sounds like a great plan. What can possibly go wrong with that plan? Great plan. So then, I do that. I go robe up, I come sit down in the choir loft, and Tim doesn't look at me. Like, what do I do now? So, I'm going to leave. And someone else who I won't name, Mike Cochran, said, no, you're not. You're going to sing. I'm like, I can't sing. He said, follow me. I'm like, I can't sing. So if you would have seen that Sunday, Mike was up in the choir loft with me like a child, like sounding out the words. Sing, no, don't sing this. Sing this. Don't sing this. And so I had to sing the anthem. And I'm not good at it. And when we finished, I was as white as a ghost. And I was drenched wet with sweat. Because I could preach to 10,000, no problem. But singing, ah. Uh-uh. So the dog needs to think about what he's doing because he really doesn't want to catch the car. Catching the car is a lot better in, in, in theory than in reality. I learned my lesson. Broke me of that. That'll never happen ever again. That was a one-time mistake. <laughs> you know. But I've always loved music. I've always loved Love musicals. I, I love musicals. I, friends of mine used to pick me, I always need one, one, one summer to do a, a sermon series based off musicals and spiritual themes within them. I love, I, love, I love hearing good music, and I love seeing live performances of good music. And one of my favorite musicals um, I, I, uh, is uh, Lay Miz. Love, 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 love Lay Miz. I've never been so blessed to see it on Broadway, but I've seen several local um, productions that are just phenomenal. If you are familiar with the story of, of Les Mis, it's, it's basically a man, Jean Valjean, uh, goes to prison um, for stealing bread to, to provide for his family. And over the course of prison, he's finally released, but he couldn't, you know, he had his, he had his papers. He had, his, he had to show he was a prisoner, and so he can't find anywhere to go, anywhere to eat, anywhere to stay and sleep. And he becomes hardened, becomes a hardened man because of this experience. To finally, early on in the play, he's taken in by a priest. And the priest feeds him and lets him stay the night. And then Jean Valjean, that night's going to sneak out and leave. And as he does this, he steals the, the silver upon the altar. As he leaves, uh, he's arrested. And the, and the police take him back to the, pre, to, to the priest and say, we've caught this man who has stolen the sacred from the altar. And said, the priest says, oh, no, no, you've, you've captured my friend. Let him go. These were gifts that given him. And the priest could have, by rights, had him thrown back in prison. But he gave him, instead of giving him the consequences and the judgment he had earned, he gave him grace. He showed him undeserved grace, a moment of failure, a moment where he deserved to have been punished. And that becomes an overarching theme throughout the rest of the musical, the notion of Grace. If you're familiar with it, it ends with a grand song where part of the line is to love another person is to see the face of God. Grace changes things. The power of forgiveness is that it changes things. The notion of forgiveness is a constant theme throughout all of Scripture. You could say it's the undergirding philosophy really of all of the Bible. But there's so many powerful, powerful stories of forgiveness across scripture. But I, I really think one of my favorites is, is the earlier passage we had today from Romans. Romans is a fascinating book. If you, if you were to have one book to read over and over and over again, it'd be hard to find a better option out there than Romans. Because in the book of Romans, Paul lays out really probably as succinctly as possible what it is we Christians believe. And one of the basic things Paul does in Romans, it's an interesting structure he builds. Paul basically spends the first seven chapters going this, okay, all y'all are sinful. Jews are sinful. Gentiles are sinful. I'm sinful. You're sinful. Christians are sinful. folk are sinful, sinful. Everybody's sinful. Everybody. Everybody's deserving judgment. That's what Paul, Paul's weaves this beautiful argument across the first seven chapters showing how everyone no one measures up to God's righteousness he spends so much time building up towards it and it kind of it kind of breaks in this passage in chapter seven that I love when it's like Paul is overwhelmed with his human sinfulness and overwhelmed by his brokenness and he says this "O wretched man of death that I am Who will save me from this body of death? You see Paul just becoming overwhelmed with his failures. Who will save me from all of this? Oh, wretched man of death that I am. Who will save me? And he says, but thanks be to our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the law of love has triumphed. And then it goes right into Romans 8. And there's there now for no Condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful picture Paul paints, to showing the need for forgiveness that we all have, then showing the power of forgiveness that comes through Christ Jesus. That's kind of the point of the parable that Jesus preaches. It's a story of uh, of two servants, two slaves. The king calls the first one in, and I mean, it says that he he owes he owes ten thousand talents. Okay, y'all, that basically translates scientifically to today, today's world to ten bazillion dollars. Like, there's no way, there's no there literally not physically, humanly possible for the first servant, the first slave to to pay off the debt he owes. I mean, there, there's just no way. There's not enough time. If he were to work 24 hours a day for the rest of his life, he in no way could pay off the debt that he owed. It just, it just not, it's just not humanly, physically possible. It's just not. And the king shows mercy. Says, you're forgiven. So then, this guy, walking down the street, sees his buddy, who owes him like a dollar and a half. He says, hey, pay me back. He's like, I don't have it on me. Throws the guy in jail so they can pay him off. Well, the other folks see this, and they go to the king and say, hey, you know that guy you forgave a bazillion dollars? He threw his buddy in jail. So then the king hauls him back and says, "Uh uh-uh. It's not the way it works. Has him thrown in debtor's prison until he can pay off what he owes. The king was furious. Was furious. Why? Well, the initial servant, he'd forgotten grace. He'd forgotten that he had been forgiven because he did not live that forgiveness out with another. There's a great... Line by Brendan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, which I love. I I think I've told you this a thousand times. If you're looking for a good book to read, Ragamuffin Gospel is the book to read. But he says this. He said, most of us do not really believe we're sinful, so we don't really believe we're forgiven. So we live lives of pseudo-guilt and pseudo-bliss, never experiencing the true power of Forgiveness. That's why I love Romans, because Romans disarms you. Romans leave you understanding, wow, I've blown it. I've really messed up. I've failed. I have not measured up morally, religiously, in any way. I've really blown it. And then you see the depth of that failure and you find that God, they're lavishing you with undeserved grace, and grace your heart can't help but rejoice with the understanding that God has forgiven us, that God has restored us and loves us and gives us grace after grace, undeserving of our actions. And it's completely overwhelming. That's one of my favorite things to do in church is when we take communion monthly, is to go through the liturgy. In the prayer of confession, Lord, we, we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Yeah, our confession there. And then you always notice, I pause. We have that pause there. And then I usually say something that's not even in the liturgy. But I'll say something to the effect of, hear this. This isn't just words. You're not just marking time to get to communion. But in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. We need to hear that. We need to be told that. We need to remember that we are forgiven. We're forgiven. It's gone, done, done away with, no more. We are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And then for those of us that have become forgiven, our obligation, our command, our call, Is what we just prayed a few minutes ago. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's hard. That's hard. And it's not an act of will. To forgive somebody else comes from real realization of how much we've been forgiven. And then to allow the grace of God to work through us to forgive someone else. Forgiveness is not an act of will. Forgiveness is an act of God. That can only be done through his grace. But it starts with the awareness that we must Forgive. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells a story of negotiating a a compromise or or, a conference among some Polish Christians. And the interesting thing about these Polish Christians is there's two groups of them. One group of the Christians were individuals who had been part of a concentration camp. And the other group of Christians were the ones who were guards of that concentration camp. And he began to see if they could reconcile. And after days of conversation, there was no reconciliation to be had. I mean, they were not, they were not forgiving each other. And so Yancey then says, okay, let's close and, 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 and be dismissed. But before we close, let's pray the Lord's prayer. They pray it. And then when it gets to when the Lord commands us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The room goes silent. And the leader of the Christians who had been in the concentration camp stands up and says I do not want to forgive these my brothers but my Lord leaves me no choice I must forgive But the only way forgiveness can start is with us remembering and us understanding just how much God has forgiven us. I want to read to you a quote by C.S. Lewis where he says this. He says, To be a Christian means you must forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. It is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury. But to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say our prayers each night. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness in the end is freedom. Because when we forgive them, we let go of the bitterness inside of us. We let go of the hurt inside of us. And then we can truly live out the life of mercy that God desires for us. And then relationships are... I don't don't know, y'all. If you can really be in a relationship with somebody, till you've forgiven them. I think forgiveness might be the seal that defines a true relationship. I had a friend of mine. We were very close friends at a time in our life, very close friends. Our families would eat dinner together. Uh, we, we, we just were very close. We, had a, we just enjoyed life together, good friends. And then life happens. I mean, I don't know if there's any one great break in our relationship, but we just fell out of friendship, shall we say. And then as the years passed, a bitterness and animosity set in, set in with both of us. We just became very estranged and very embittered towards each other. And we were were nice to each other. We saw each other. But there was no relationship there. It was gone. The bitterness had taken over. One day this friend called me up one day and said, hey, um, you in the office? I'm like, yeah. He said, can I come talk to you? He popped in. He said, Andy, I want to apologize. And I want to ask your forgiveness for being embittered at you. And I called his name and said, no, no, no. It's me who must confess to you. And it's me who must repent to you and ask your forgiveness for me becoming embittered towards you. this great gulf that had divided amongst our friendship was healed through both of us asking for forgiveness for our part in the brokenness. And for both of us extending forgiveness to the other in spite of those years of brokenness. And now at this point in my life, he's one of the persons I call or text when I have a problem because I trust him because he's forgiven me and I've forgiven him. That's the power of forgiveness. That's the power of forgiveness. Jesus says in the Gospels, if you have aught with your brother, angst, unforgiveness, take your offering from the altar and go back right with him. Each Sunday in worship, we're taking a marble and reflecting upon how we lived our life. This marble's now gone. This week is gone. Next week starts. How have we used our marble that God has given us this week, this week of our life? And how will we use next week? Who is it in your life? that you need to forgive? Who, it is, who is it in your life that you need to receive forgiveness from? Where must that grace be applied to our own life? And where must that grace be applied to someone else's life? Where are we in regards to forgiveness? Today, as we use our marble this week, may we forgive May we show forgiveness to those who have harmed us. (laughs) Remember, it's not an act of will, it's an act of God. And may we receive God's forgiveness in our lives where we have fallen. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Through God's grace, may we forgive each other. Let us pray.